Hello, we're Equinor. As a global energy leader, we're working hard to reduce methane emissions and our carbon footprint. Good morning. I'm James Hellman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Wednesday, December 11th. In today's news, a federal judge blocks President Trump's plan to build the border wall using certain military funds. The Pensacola gunman may have embraced radical ideology years before his arrival in the U.S., and the Arctic may have crossed a key threshold. But first, the big idea. On one hand, Democrats called President Trump a continuing threat to our democracy and national security. On the other, they said he's a trustworthy partner in consummating the grandest trade deal the United States has ever negotiated. The nation saw quite a split screen on Tuesday in which Nancy Pelosi dashed from a somber announcement of articles of impeachment against the president to a jubilant proclamation of a revised North American trade accord, bewildering liberals who said Democrats were sending disastrously mixed messages about Trump 11 months before the 2020 election. But inside the confines of the House, the tandem moves made perfect sense. It is, multiple Democratic lawmakers said, the ultimate expression of the walk-and-chew-gum mentality that Speaker Pelosi and other party leaders have been pushing since the earliest days of their majority, and it generated nearly universal acclaim from lawmakers on Tuesday. Lefties like Paul Krugman have argued that Democrats should have held out on Trump, allowing a Democratic successor to cut a more favorable trade deal. But those arguments have found little to no traction inside the peculiar political hothouse that is the House Democratic Caucus, where the vast majority of lawmakers consider Trump to be unfit for office, but not so repulsive as to reject every matter he chooses to touch, especially when that matter is replacing the widely despised NAFTA. While Trump can herald the deal, so too can House Democrats looking for a legislative accomplishment to promote in their own re-election bids. This is especially true for the dozens of Democratic incumbents running in districts that Trump won in 2016. The changes negotiated by Democrats made the agreement more worker-friendly, beefing up dispute resolution procedures and toughening the process for verifying labor standards in Mexico, which was a key weakness of NAFTA. Democrats also won concessions from Trump on patent protections for certain pharmaceuticals and enforcement of environmental standards. The advancement of the trade accord alongside the impeachment articles is an outgrowth of a push from a small but influential group of freshman moderates who backed the impeachment inquiry this fall, but also pushed Pelosi to keep tight reins on the process, which she has. That helped prompt a series of decisions, putting the House on track to hold a final floor vote on impeachment next week, setting up a Senate trial in the new year. My colleagues Mike DeBonis and Rachel Bade report that some centrist Democrats remain quite skittish about backing impeachment, with a few privately floating the idea of censuring Trump to give members an alternative way to express displeasure with the president. But this notion is unlikely to gain traction with Pelosi or the majority of Democrats. One moderate Democrat present for a Monday night discussion attended by fewer than a dozen members said conversations highlight ongoing concerns from lawmakers who represent Republican districts whose constituents are unhappy with the impeachment push. But the group realizes it's much too late to stop things from moving forward at this juncture. That's what made cutting the trade deal so much more politically important for Pelosi, giving her most vulnerable members a concrete accomplishment going into the holidays and an election year. 
And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar this hump day. Number one, a federal judge in El Paso last night blocked Trump's plan to spend $3.6 billion in military funds on the border wall. District Court Judge David Briones, a Bill Clinton appointee, ruled that the administration does not have the authority to divert money appropriated by Congress for a different purpose. The Trump administration was planning to use those funds to build 175 miles of steel barriers, and the court's permanent injunction is a setback for Trump's promise to erect 450 linear miles of fencing before the 2020 election. The administration has budgeted about $10 billion for barrier construction, so the ruling affects roughly one-third of the money the president plans to use. Briones' decision does not apply to the other money available to the administration, including reprogrammed military counter-narcotics funds. Last night, the Pentagon's inspector general announced that he will review how U.S. troops are being used on the southern border. At least 34 members of the House and 19 senators have requested this investigation. And here's another important immigration story. With Trump's hands-on involvement and support, the Border Patrol Union was able to secure an exceedingly generous new labor contract that significantly increases the number of union officials allowed to collect government salaries without having to perform any patrol duties. The new collective bargaining agreement requires the government, that's you, the taxpayer, to finance 74 full-time union positions, even though the number of agents in the Border Patrol has declined. The move pulls additional Border Patrol agents from their jobs to focus on labor relations when the administration is claiming the situation at the southern border is a national security crisis. What's really going on here? Well, the contract expands the number of border agents whose roles as union officers allow them to engage in partisan activity and politicking. That is very likely to benefit Trump's 2020 re-election campaign. Number two, the Saudi aviation student who shot and killed three U.S. sailors on a Florida base last Friday may have embraced radical ideology years before he got to the U.S. According to an internal Saudi assessment, a Twitter account believed to have been used by Ahmed Mohammed al-Sharmani indicates that four radical religious figures shaped the Saudi Air Force trainees' anti-American extremism. The Saudis said they didn't detect what they believed to be Shamrani's Twitter account because it didn't display his full name, but rather parts of his name that are common in Saudi Arabia, and it contained no biographical information or photograph. The Saudi government says it's working with the U.S. to improve screening procedures for military personnel and students being sent overseas. In the meantime, the Pentagon yesterday has halted training for all Saudi military students studying here as part of a larger review of the handling of foreign military students. This means flight training and other operational exercises will cease for the roughly 850 Saudi trainees who are currently on the ground in the U.S. pending the completion of the review, which could take a week or maybe more. And here's more information on another warning sign that was missed. Six months ago, the FBI issued a bulletin about the loophole that the Saudi shooter used to obtain his gun. The warning encouraged businesses to be aware that extremists could exploit the federal statutory exception that allows non-immigrant visa holders who normally cannot buy firearms or ammunition to legally purchase them as long as they have a valid hunting license or permit, which is what the Saudi shooter had. The warning went on to note that foreign terrorist organizations, including ISIS, 
have encouraged Westerners to exploit gaps in our gun laws to conduct mass casualty shooting attacks. This loophole still exists. Number three, scientists say that Greenland's ice losses have septupled and are now in line with what had been their most feared sea level scenarios. The sheet's total losses nearly doubled each decade from 33 billion tons per year in the 1990s to an average now of 254 billion tons annually. Since 1992, nearly 4 trillion tons of Greenland ice have melted and entered the ocean. That's equivalent to roughly a centimeter rise of global sea level. Around the planet, just one centimeter of sea level rise means annual flooding for an additional 6 million people. These numbers were disclosed yesterday in the journal Nature by a consortium that includes NASA. And overnight, we got our hands on a copy of a major new federal report about the Arctic. It shows that the region is going through a profound, rapid, and unmitigated shift into a new climate state that's causing it to emit billions of tons of carbon into the air. The consequences of these climate shifts will be felt far outside the Arctic, in the form of altered weather patterns and increased greenhouse gas emissions. The Arctic Report Card is a U.S. government assessment that's designed to help agencies plan for the future. The report paints an ominous picture of a region lurching to an entirely new and unfamiliar environment. And that's The Daily 202 for Wednesday, December 11th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you tomorrow. If you want to get more news about the impeachment inquiry, you can now subscribe to a new podcast feed from The Washington Post. All of our audio updates on the inquiry are in one place, including the latest from The Daily 202's Big Idea, Can He Do That?, and Post Reports. You can subscribe at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts.